I'm Sean Bowles, and I want to welcome you to Exploring the Prophetic Podcast. I have a passion for how the prophetic gifts can change the world around us. They make simple, everyday people like you and I a catalyst for life-changing experiences with the supernatural. On this podcast, I have friends from all different backgrounds who each have a powerful story to tell about how the prophetic is shaping their world. I invite you to be part of the conversation. This is Exploring the Prophetic. Well, I get to have an amazing conversation today. I know it's going to be amazing because I know this man and he has a voice and some of the stuff that is going on right now in America between the black and the white issue that has been right front and center right now in so many people's viewpoints and, uh, you know, obviously our nation. But I love the spiritual emphasis of where he's coming from this. His name is Jonathan Tremaine Thomas. He was raised in the southern foothills of West North Carolina, along with his brother. Many of you know him, worship artist Jay Thomas. He's a fifth generation preacher's kid, and you're going to love this. He was the grand nephew of the civil rights activist and music legend, Dr. Nina Simone, who is one of my favorites. I listen to all the standards in jazz, so I listen to her probably five times a week. She comes on my playlist. He represents a unique blending of artistic history and divine calling. He uh, earned his BS in communications at East Carolina University uh, and a master's degree in inter, uh, intercultural studies at Fuller Theological Seminary. And he was commissioned by Bethel World Outreach Center as a missionary to the most violent neighborhoods in Nashville, Tennessee. And while serving there, he also was personified as Tony in the 2006 Sony Pictures film, The Second Chance. So he's been acting since then as well. Uh, he is the president of Uproot Media, LLC. He's worked as an actor, host, voiceover, all these things. But he's a missionary and prayer mobilizer. This is what I want to focus on. I love all the other stuff. But he's spearheaded extensive evangelism, prayer, and repentance gatherings in stadiums and cities across the nation, including the call of Detroit, the Ferguson response, Azusa Now LA, Awaken the Dawn, the Tent Charleston, One Race Stone Mountain. And he even has one coming up that we're going to ask him about during Martin Luther King Day on August 8th. He has gained a voice nationally due to his peacekeeping and peacemaking efforts and the 2014 civil unrest in Ferguson, Missouri. And in 2018, while serving on pastoral team at Destiny Church in St. Louis, he found a, founded, I love this, listen to this name, Civil Righteousness, Inc. So today, the, through Civil Righteousness Movement, he directs prayer-fueled evangelism, community transformation, and racial, racial reconciliation initiatives full-time in over 120 cities across the globe with a strong conviction to earnestly contend for faith Jonathan carries an uncompromising message of identity in Christ and eternal perspective. I'm going to encourage you guys. This is going to be a great conversation for many of you, whether you feel like, you know, you're, you're extremely conservative, extremely liberal or anywhere in between. We need a spiritual voice and response to what's going on in our nation. And Jonathan's going to help you get there. So come on the journey with us as I talk to the only JT. Hey, Exploring the Prophetic Family. We have an incredible new resource for you. My new book, Provision, Prophecies, Prayers, and Declarations is out now. I wrote this book so that you would have a very specific tool to help you use words to define your own history and future with God. Throughout human history, we've seen prayer and the prophetic and declarations shape society, set culture, provide heritage, and bring vision for the future. And when you combine prayers, declarations, and prophecies like you encounter in this book, you become even more intentional about the power of words. Prophecies, prayers, and declarations are instrumental for us to enter our promised land. This book, Provision, Prophecies, Prayers, and Decorations, will cover topics in finances, resources, family, influence, favor, business, and more. Through this book, I'm inviting you on the journey of learning how to use words to speak in the very fabric of your life, the spiritual realm, and the world around you. 
I pray that you'll find yourself using and reusing this book as you hear God speak to your heart. You can get our book anywhere books are sold, but if you get it at bowlsministries.com and you pre-order it or post-order it, you're going to get a very exclusive teaching series. So I want to encourage you to get it there. Welcome to the show today. I have my guest, Jonathan Tremaine. You are on with me. Thank you so much for coming and exploring the prophetic. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I mean, we've heard about each other and I've, I've heard amazing things about your life and just the prayer movement that you've started and how you've been a voice, especially for current events right now, spiritually and civil rights, but you also have a long history and ministry and acting. I love that. All these different areas, you, you, your fingers are in many areas right now, which is amazing, but it's fun to have a conversation about this, hearing God's voice in our life and how God's voice has impacted you and impacted the world around you. And so I'm excited to start. Let's start this conversation. Sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm looking through just some of our show notes together, which I get to do, which is fun. And because you and I have not met in person and I've wanted to meet you and I'm so glad that we got introduced. But um, one of the, the early stories probably from 2007 or so is like a season where God was saying, look at the star and take us on that journey. Yeah, you know, I, I grew up in the missionary Baptist tradition, and my family was actually very prophetic, very prophetically wired. Wow. But my my great-grandmother was a Christian Methodist Episcopal <laughs> preacher, so she was a, a groundbreaking pioneer as a female preacher in a Methodist denomination. But the, the, the bottom line is our family just had no real theological construct because our traditions— didn't do teaching on the prophetic or or the you know the the gifts of the holy spirit or in our tradition we'd say the holy ghost you know and yeah. um and so but i out of my hunger for the lord uh having been filled with the holy spirit in the during the brownsville outpouring in pensacola in 95 wow. and then you know just beginning to to desire everything as far as the depths of God that I could lay hold of. In 2007, I entered into a six-month season of fasting and prayer, and this was immediately following a big stadium gathering in Nashville called the Call Nashville. Oh, yeah. And yeah, at, at that meeting, I met uh, Mike Bickle from the House of Prayer and Lou Engel and all these other wow. prophetic people and, you know, got kind of plugged into this uh, this thing of night and day prayer and, you know, I'm streaming the the prayer room and, and kind of getting, uh, just, it was really a sign and a wonder to me, I, it, but yet it felt familiar because I grew up in a household of prayer and worship. And so I'm in this six month season of fasting and prayer. I said, I'm going to make it my job to encounter God. Everything really the, the prayer of Habakkuk, uh, Lord, we have heard of your great fame, but renew your works in our day. I was at that place. I was like, Lord, I'm tired of hearing the stories of your great exploits wow. secondhand. Open my eyes to behold wondrous things. I want to see with my own eyes. And three months in, I had this crazy, uh, almost audible voice encounter where the Lord interrupts my prayer time. And he says, look at the star. And I'm, I'm stunned. And I'm looking out the window at the sun. I said, well, that's a big star. And he says, no, look at the star. And so I leave my my little uh, room, my little office in our house, and I'm looking around the house. And at this point, I'm trembling under the power of the voice of the Lord. 
And I don't know what's going to happen if there's like a star going to materialize in our house. And I look at the Wait kitchen up. table. <laughs> yeah, I look at the kitchen table and there is a, uh, a newspaper that says the Indianapolis star. We had lived, we lived in Indianapolis and I said, Oh, the star. And right underneath the headline of this main line, you know, the, the largest publication news publication in the state of Indiana, it says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is Liberty. What? And yeah, exactly. I was like, what? Who put that there? You know, and it jumped off the page in like three, di three dimensional form. And the Lord says, see, I have placed my name on this city. Wow. And then I hear Jeremiah 29, 17. Will you contend? Well, actually, Jeremiah 29, 17. If there's no peace or welfare in the city to which you've been exiled, pray for the welfare of that city and you also will have welfare or peace. And I remember the Lord saying, will you contend for my name in this city? And that initiated really a, a, a nine year engagement of prophetic and apostolic experiences that were so far beyond my tradition or my understanding uh, that I thought, honestly, at first that I was losing my mind uh, as the Lord began to direct me and teach me what it looks like for whole cities and even people groups to take on the attributes of his name, that when he places his name on a place or a person, they take on his attributes. So it's been quite a journey. No, that's that's crazy. And I think a lot of people who are listening probably think everyone who does this stuff or hears God in powerful ways has some qualifiers, like some massive qualifiers that make them the candidate for it. And what we're finding out is God loves all of us. And He, each one of us is completely qualified to hear him in a way that actually changes and leverages his kingdom on the earth. And I think you're a great example of somebody who didn't come from the background of understanding like the terminology, so to speak, or the whatever you want to call it. But but you have this rich history, this rich family line, which is so phenomenal. I know um, one of the things that uh, probably won't come up for any other reason other than I was curious about it is that uh, Dr. Nina Simone is your is your aunt. Is that correct? That Grace? is correct. Yeah, she's, and, she's my... Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say she's my grandmother's sister. And a lot of people don't realize as a Christian the impact she had as a Christian person, as a civil rights leader. They just think of her as like the musician or the, the artist. They don't think of her as like for what she did, but she did some pretty profound things. And so coming from both missionary and then somebody who was in, involved in somewhat of an entertainment industry, creative arts, that whole sphere, but also civil rights, you come from some pretty rich heritage. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and what people don't know about Aunt Nina is so her mother, my great grandmother, who I referenced earlier, she was really a circuit rider in the tradition of those Methodists who would go and, and bring revival all over the nation on horseback. And so she wasn't a horseback circuit rider, but uh, she was born on a slave plantation. And at uh, 30 years old, she asked the Lord, she says, God, if you can use a mother, will you use me? And he said, yes. And she began to travel throughout all the, the deep south to, to former slave plantations, the sharecropper fields. And she preached the gospel and everywhere she went, churches sprang up. So she carried her kids with her. And so Aunt Nina at four years old was supernaturally gifted by the Lord. She heard she was really a savant. That's not really known uh, or, or talked about, but at four years old, she heard uh, Mozart playing on the radio and she sat down at the piano and played note for note one of the works that she heard. 
Um, and then she learned how to engage people in the spirit in these these uh, kind of circuit rider camp meetings where my grandfather and my great or my great grandfather, my great grandmother would preach. And so she learned how to tap into the frequencies of heaven and move people's spirits. And that carried over into her career, uh, you know, which she was named the high priestess of soul because people would come to her concerts and it was like a revival meeting. And that's because it was sourced in a in a legitimate move of God uh, that from her childhood experience. I mean, that's just wild. Well, let's kind of go down the journey. We, we know now your past and how God started to awaken something and do something. How did that move you forward? Like having these encounters, seeing this, this prayer burden or this thing raise up inside of yourself and then having, you know, this sense of what you were already working on and then moving into a new direction. Like talk about where you were at in that season. Well, what happened was the Lord, uh, you know, as I look back at the, the breadcrumbs of destiny, you know, prophetically, and I think back to burdens that I had even at 12 years old, where I would feel the burden of the Lord as it relates to the issue of race and culture and class and injustice. Uh, I went into a, a six month depression as a 12 year old where I was literally under the burden of the Lord with a travail and a lament over the issues of racism in our nation at 12. Wow. And uh, at 14, my, my baptism in the Holy Spirit encounter that happened in Brownsville was distinctly to deal with the questions of, of racial identity that I held in my heart. And he delivered me and, and anointed me and said, hey, I'm going to make you a messenger on this issue. Um, and so some of the revelation that the Lord began to give and the realm of the spirit that began to be open to me from 2007 to really 2014 uh, led to, you know, I had a, a vision from the Lord in 2014, right after Mike Brown, the 18 year old black man was, was killed in Ferguson, Missouri. I was in North Carolina taking care of my dad who was sick. And I had an open vision where the Lord said, meet me in Ferguson. And he opened it up out of Zechariah 18 uh, or 818, which talks about the inhabitants of many cities descending upon one city and entreating the favor of the Lord there. And it also says that your fasting or your mourning will be turned into a feast of cheerful joy. And uh, so I came to prayer walk in Ferguson and encountered literally the Lord. He met me. He met Ferguson. I realized that the glory of God had ridden into our nation on the donkey of crisis. And uh, we experienced an immeasurable uh, almost unexplainable level of the glory of God in the midst of the chaos. And I knew then uh, that we had entered into another era of possibly the, the fulfillment of the promises of God like this nation has never seen or known, but in the midst of the burning fields of, of civil unrest. And uh, so that, that prophetic vision, that encounter caused me and my family to come temporarily, which turned into a long-term assignment. And we're still here today. That's amazing. I mean, okay, so let's talk about walking that out in a time like we live in right now, because you guys are in a very important city and a very important mandate. And what does that look like in 2020, which has been such a bizarre and hard year? Yeah, you know, the thing is, there's the, the cultural noise is so loud. There, you know, there are so many opinions. But yet, Isaiah 2 talks about in the last days that the mountain of the Lord, this literal place, a realm in the spirit, would be exalted as chief among 
all the other hills. So we look at hills as as mountains, but all, but from his pr- perspective, they're only hills. They're they're small, low low elevation places that that we see as these almost insurpassable or insurmountable obstacles to the day and age in which we live. But there is a place in the spirit where he says all the ethnic groups, all nations will stream to the mountain of the Lord and say, come, let us go up to the house of God, to the house of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways. And it also goes on in Isaiah and talks about how he's going to settle the disputes of the ethnos in the place of revelation as we learn what righteousness and justice looks like from his perspective. Hmm. And so, you know, I feel that so many times we see and experience the crises of culture, the, the obstacles to being a more equitable society, and we instantly reach for human solutions by changing yeah. the externals. You know, it's like, well, let's change what policy needs to be changed. Let's yeah. march because we need more economic reform, educational reform. And yes, we need those things. But the real place of transformation, Jesus's justice agenda begins with internal transformation and leads to external reformation. So and so, so what happens is in this time, we have to, we have to literally uh, ask God to open the realm of supernatural understanding, wisdom, and revelation, and be taught, become students again through the realm of the Spirit, through fasting and prayer. And you access that pra- practically uh, through fat. I believe fasting opens the door to the supernatural. And, and, and that, that posture of weeping and lamenting uh, by posturing yourself physically in prayer and saying, God, I will not leave my room. I will not march. I won't even take to the streets until first you have broken my heart. God, wow. give me, give me the tears of heaven. And then that those external tears um, actually indicate an internal breaking of your heart, a washing. Then the Lord can, and he says, upon this one, the broken and a contrite spirit, I will look and they will not be despised. In your brokenness, in your weeping, turn your weeping into wonder and worship, and then I will give you access to the superior wisdom of heaven. And then we walk out of that place as prophets and as reformers. Oh my gosh. That was like the biggest mouthful. Some of you need to pause and go backwards and listen to it all again. And I think like, you know, there's something about you saying it from just your heritage and history. It's like your family has seen a lot. Your family has seen a lot of the black, white issue in America. Your family has seen a lot of just minority issues in America and stood both in the kingdom side, but also uh, through your aunt, and I'm sure many other family members through some of the natural side too, some of the governmental side, some of the civil rights side. And so what I love about this is that your generation, your iteration of this really has to do with healing the iniquity or healing the the root system, not just the, the, the extroverted issues that we're all seeing right now. Do you have any practical stories of how you've seen some movement in those areas? Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, I, one of the things I'll say is, you know, the Lord, um, even now, uh, called us to raise up a wall of righteousness, um, to literally go in as intercessors. There's a breach in the spiritual walls around our nation. Hmm. Every single time, a, a legislative decision throughout history was made that that violated the Imago Day. So, you know, every single one of us are image bearers. We carry the the DNA or the the the, the unique thumbprint of Jesus in our very 
being here on the earth. And, and so racism, understanding that racism is not a, a flesh and blood issue, it's actually spiritual resistance to the image of God within man. It is saying, I hate what Jesus looks like in your skin and in your cultural expression. And so every single racist uh, piece of legislation or action against someone who is an image bearer of God, it actually doesn't violate them only. It, it violates God himself, which causes a spiritual breach in the walls of our wow. nation. And so you can change the laws, but if you do not deal with the demonic empowerment, if you don't deal with, with repairing the breach in the realm of the unseen, then it just gets perpetuated generation to generation, and the, the trauma and the wounding of it continues to be perpetuated and manifest in our culture. So what, we, what we've seen is when we go as intercessors uh, and we say, you know what, we are going to stand in the, in the hole in the wall, in the spiritual wall, um, and we're going to actually resist the, the, the spiritual powers that we cannot see that are informing hatred in our hearts and informing legislation that perpetuates hatred and, and oppression. What we are seeing is a supernatural manifestation of Matthew 5, 9, which says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. We go in to make peace through prayer first. And so what we've done is we've raised up, the Lord gave us a, a strategy for a, a pray test, so to speak. It's protest, it were, but it's also prayer. It's mainly prayer where we're standing as peacemakers silently before the Lord on the streets as a multi-ethnic display. And we have seen, we have actually seen entire uh, protests that have a violent spirit. Let me, let me just say, a peaceful protest is only peaceful if it's full of peace. But if you're using language that is violent, meaning threats in your chants or threats in your language, then it's actually not peaceful. It yeah. may not be physically violent, but the language can incite people to physical violence. Yeah. And so we've gone in where there have been these atmospheres in Ferguson, in Detroit, in Minneapolis, wow. in, uh, in Charlottesville, in so many cities over the years, but especially in the last four weeks, we're in over 150 cities. And we have seen the peacemaking anointing that only activates in the place of crisis. We've seen it take over and transform atmospheres. And then we've seen young people of color and, and other folks who are so filled with rage and rage motivated them to take action in the protest. We've seen them be encountered by the supernatural presence of God. And some of them just begin to weep in our arms. Uh, in Minneapolis, we're seeing hundreds actually come to the Lord as the, this supernatural peace that, that doesn't make sense on the outside, but it hits you on the inside to begin to reconcile the wounding from those who have experienced historic oppression. And uh, so I, I know I just said a mouthful, but, no, but that's no, one of the things I, we're seeing. I think it's amazing because like one of the things that you're defining to me, and I, I'm just going to use this term. I, I'm, I don't know if I made this up or if it's something I've heard before, but it's like presence-driven activism. That's it. And, you know, just seeing people who want to do something. Like I was looking at, and, you know, we were a part of some of the, um, our church was a part of some of the protests. And we, you know, like we were believing in the right kind of, message and i know that's liberal for some of our listeners and uh then some of our listeners are extremely liberal and they're like that's too conservative for us you know it's like right there should be more you know there's that that fine line for these kinds of issues right now that are stirring up specifically in america but i mean we're like 
you know, we're really believing for a move on humanity around the world and the nations that America, as we reconcile, that it could be reconciled in nations. And we're really believing for that. And there has to be something done. But I feel like so many people don't realize that Jesus cares about these issues more than we do, that he's literally Jesus the Jew came when the Jewish people were being persecuted and almost genocided. And it was one of the darkest times for their race in history. And he understands racism. And I feel like a lot of people, when they when they think of Jesus, they think of the white Jesus of Nazareth type, no, you know, blue-eyed man. They don't see the Middle Easterner who actually was being persecuted, where Herod was even even his own people. They were trying to kill him, you know, because he had prophecy on his life, and he never had a day where there wasn't someone trying to kill him for who he was. And so I think like it's so beautiful to talk about because he walked in the presence of God, and it caused him to have like to say things like turn the other cheek, which is just an impossible statement unless the presence of God is with you. But again, right. he was believing that the kingdom that he was representing from the father was enough. And it's, I think a lot of us who are listening, maybe maybe um, Jonathan will inspire you to think about um, not stopping activism, but bringing the presence of God into it to lead you in it. And I think that's so key. Well, it, it compels. It comp- it's the very foundation of his throne. Absolutely. Jesus, Jesus is a king and it says righteousness. That's the that deals with your internals and justice that deals with the externals are the foundation of his throne, which means that's the very pillar of how he leads. And one of the primary understandings of Jesus before he returns to the earth is that and that he is coming as the man justice. Mm-hmm. If you look at the book of Love Revelation. That. If you look in even the prophet Isaiah saw him as justice thousands of years before he walked the earth, he prophesied there is a man coming. He even said in Isaiah 42, it says, behold, my servant, my elect one upon whom I place my spirit, he will bring justice to the nations. So you can't even understand the gospel unless you understand his nature as the justice bringer. And this was the revelation that our enslaved foremothers and forefathers, not in seminary, uneducated, in the field, (laughs) in the heat of the deep south, as whips were hitting their back, suddenly, no white man, I've heard this ideology, well, Christianity is a white man's religion. No, well, first of all, have you gone to a predominantly white church service and then gone to a predominantly black church (laughs) church service and seen how radically different those worship expressions are? And you're trying to tell me a white man taught us that? I mean, I'm not trying. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, I'm not trying to be ethnocentric. I'm just trying to say, no, this came out of a place of Jesus, the revelator, Jesus, the great emancipator. He showed up to my ancestors himself and said, I alone am the one who can liberate you. And it's not that it's not a call. A call to peace is not a call to passivity. And I think that's how some people who. Uh, uh, look at it. No, it means that we know that right now we have the responsibility to manifest the measures of justice that we can manifest and to fight for that in this age, because that is, we are, we are sons and daughters. That is our role. That is our calling. It's what's been entrusted to us as reconcilers, but also knowing that one day there, there, there's the now, the not yet, but there is one day where he is going to step through that those clouds and he is going to zealously right all wrong things and bring every he Jesus is going to overthrow every system with his system. Um, yeah, and I do think know. that's one of the the 
the major hopes that we have is that whatever background you come from, that there's a lot that's undone in our lifetime because Jesus could have just returned right away, but he saw the future generations that would love him and belong to him. And so there, it's like Hebrews 11, the last verse says that these people of faith were left incomplete. So only with future generations could they see the fullness of what they were called to manifest. And I think of like you walking and who you are now and you go back generations to slaves and, you know, and then all the way back into Africa, there's this heritage and legacy of people who probably didn't have, you know, a full measure of justice in their lifetime, even as believers. And, and even in your lifetime, we don't know what the full measure of justice you will see in the natural, but we know spiritually it will all be resolved and your life will play a key critical role in that. And some people look at that as a defeatist attitude, but there's this beautiful scenario where Jesus, I look at it and go, Jesus, every nation, every knee is going to bow. We're all going to bow and we're, we want to present to you the greatest and biggest reward we can in our lifetime and in our legacy. And I just, I felt like in just hearing you and in this interview, and then also other times I've seen you or heard you, it's like, there's, there's a place inside of you that feels like legacy. It feels like your resolution isn't just what happens right now. Your resolution is what happens in the end of the age with Jesus. And that's, there's, there's a hope in that that a lot of Christians don't have because they're living for only today. Yeah, and 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 we all this is this is the thing. We are a part of a multi-ethnic, multicultural family. Every single person, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, it doesn't matter if you call yourself a believer, you have in, you have inherited the the failures of past generations as well as the victories of past generations. So and good. so so that means you know, I talked about my grandmother, I talked about my uh, enslaved African ancestors. But guess what? Now you, Sean Bowles, or you, the listener, no matter what your ethnicity, if you're in the family, those are part of your family members. So that's your inheritance too. And, and so they fought, but did not see. They prayed some for 400 years of slavery on North American soil. They prayed, one day, if not me, let my children's children be free, which means what we're stepping into now is is we are, we are born with a baton in our hand. It's been passed. And we owe it to those who overcame through prevailing faith, through marching and persistence and through beatings and through, through the swamps of the Underground Railroad. And, and even those white abolitionists among the Underground Railroad from the Quaker communities and so many others who partnered as allies to see this thing overthrown, they are, that's our legacy. And so we owe it to in many say in many senses seize our divine moment today, but also have a generational view to say, you know, if Jesus doesn't return soon, you know, a hundred years from now, our children will continue to work and they'll they'll inherit our faithfulness from today. Absolutely. Man, that's awesome. Well let's switch the subject a little bit because one of the interesting things about you that I think people need to hear that this is happening is that you had an encounter with God, a black horse, dark horse, prophetic story that I want to talk about, and it involves African-Americans in Israel. Let's talk about that for a minute, because this is goes back to Martin Luther King. It's a crazy story. Yeah. Um, so many years ago, right after that time in Indianapolis of just amazing prophetic downloads, but, you know, no one knew me. My wife and I were just being faithful in Indianapolis to try to uh, lead a, a citywide unity movement to unite churches and denominations through corporate citywide prayer. Um, during that time, though, we, we just weren't seeing very much fruit in the natural. And uh, a, a prophetic man called me um, and uh, he actually walked up to me at a prayer meeting one night and he said, 
Jonathan, I have a word for you. He says, uh, the Lord says, you're like a, a black horse. You're, you're a dark, thoroughbred race horse, race horse. And the Lord sees you stomping in the gate saying, let me out. But he says, it's not time yet. Because when he does open the gates, you're going to run with, with the horses and not grow weary. And you're going to run to the ends of the earth. And it was just one of those like personal establishment prophetic words that just makes you weep, you know, because I'm like, man, nobody knows what I've been feeling on the inside, but God. And, oh, this is this. It was just one of those very timely, encouraging words. Long story short, a, a couple of years later, I visit St. Louis, which Ferguson is a suburb of St. Louis. But I visit St. Louis for the first time, walk into this uh, house of prayer here and there were horses all over the walls and I was like what is this why are these horses here and somebody says yeah a prophetic man from Alabama came through St. Louis and says all the horses are coming to St. Louis and that's laborers and so we're we're praying as a house of prayer for God to raise up and multiply laborers uh and send them here to St. Louis for the harvest and a year after that Mike Brown gets shot we receive that invitation from the Lord to come and prayer walk here and a year after that, um, uh, I'm driving a group of college students uh, from Kansas City to St. Louis, and I'm telling them this story about how uh, I felt like the Lord said he was going to raise up a global missions movement out of Ferguson, Missouri, and not just Ferguson proper, but what Ferguson represents, the pain of America's uh, racial history, the history of police and civilian relations, police brutality, uh, all of the trauma of the African diaspora from slavery to today, there's a redemptive purpose behind it. And I said, God's going to raise up black horses who run uh, to the ends of the earth from the hardest and darkest places to the harvest in the nations. Well, uh, as I was sharing that, a big semi-truck pulls up next to us and right on the side of the semi-truck, there's a huge black stallion and it says, black horse carriers. And I just said out of my mouth, I said, God's going to raise up black horses who carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. And right next to me was a semi truck. Of course, the whole car full of, you know, college students, they flip out. Whoa. You know? <laughs> and I said, and, and from that time forward, the image of the black horse just began to follow me. Uh, well, I had a dream that I was in uh, England studying the Isaiah 19 highway between Egypt, uh, Assyria, and Israel with a man named Canon Andrew White, who I'd met a, a few years earlier. He was one of the last uh, leaders, uh, spiritual leaders, Christian spiritual leaders in Baghdad in the midst of the conflict there. And uh, I'd met him a few years earlier, and he prophesied to me, he said, I will see you in Jerusalem. Well, um, I had this dream that I was studying the Isaiah 19 highway in his Bible study or, or his personal study in England. And uh, these two missionary leaders walk in the room, a guy named Andy Bird from YWAM and another guy named Brian Kim. Uh, they walk in and said, JT, guess what we're doing? And I said, what? And they wrote on a chalkboard behind me, we're raising up 1 million African-Americans for Israel. And in the dream, I was jealous. I, I said, you're doing that? I thought I was supposed to do it. Uh, fast forward that same year, a couple of months later, I was invited to preach in Selma, Alabama, uh, on the anniversary of Bloody Sunday in Selma. And uh, so I'm in Selma preaching at this Episcopal church called Christ the King. And I just, I felt like I was supposed to share that dream. And I talked about how African-Americans 
and particularly the African diaspora shares a parallel history with the Jewish people. Oh, wow. uh, they were enslaved 400 years. We were enslaved 400 years. And if you were to actually do a, a, a comparison study through the things that God warned the Jewish people and that have come upon the Jewish people, as well as the things that uh, have happened throughout the history of the African diaspora, it's so parallel that there is even, you know, ideologies today where many are starting to believe many black people are coming out of Christianity and into a form of Judaism called the black Hebrew Israelite ideology, where they believe that we actually are the true Israel. Uh, I won't get into all that now, but but it's so close um, if you really dive into it that it's easy to see how that type of ideology would gain some real traction. Um, but uh, the bottom line is, um, after I pre preached in Selma, a lady walked up to me and said, um, my brother wrote this article and she hands me an article. Her brother, a white man who lives in Jerusalem, married a Jewish lady. She, he wrote an article called Mar Martin Luther King's Unfinished Business. And it talked about how uh, a major part of his platform and agenda after the Civil Rights Act uh, was passed was to then turn the heart of the African-American community toward the Jewish community. And if, oh you look, if you look at him, he always marched with the Jewish rabbi, Rabbi Abraham Heschel, and the Jewish community historically funded black entrepreneurship in Detroit and so many other cities in Harlem. Uh, and so there's this close relationship that has been somewhat lost in history. Uh, and he was supposed to go to a state-sponsored meeting and do and preach on the Sea of Galilee with a 5,000-voice black gospel choir uh, on the Sea of Galilee and preach on one new man, on reconciliation between the Jew uh, and the Muslim uh, through a state-sponsored visit, visit from Israel and Jordan. Uh, but that visit didn't happen for various reasons, political reasons, conflict reasons, and then ultimately he was assassinated. And so we feel like this is unfinished business, uh, that God still, there's a redemptive glory out of the pain of the African-American experience. Jewish people love black gospel. And so uh, we feel like even scripturally, the Lord has revealed that uh, we have a unique role to play in serving Israel into her destiny and receiving Yeshua. Wow. I just feel like, you know, this conversation with you, I think so many people who have been listening to all kinds of narratives are getting course corrected right now spiritually and just hearing the God thread, which I think we have to come back to whenever there's controversial issues and whether you're on one side or the other or in the middle and you don't know how to stand or if it feels confusing, there's always a God narrative. There's always somewhere to listen and some way to listen to God, whether it's through people like you who are just phenomenal in your communication about this, like God just anointed you for all these types of things, or whether it's, you know, other, other sources that are doing a great job as a Christian, we're responsible for focusing on what God's doing, not what God's not doing. And I love your focus that you brought us today because it's just, it helps me. I'm, I'm excited. Like I'm energized. I'm like, do it. Yes. Any connection I have to Israel, I want to give to you. And we'll talk about that in the future just wow. because I think, you know, yes, do it. I mean, like, Let's get TBN on board. Let's get everybody on board. Let's do this thing. This is awesome. Yeah. Well, you know, Sean, I think the way forward is that we have to understand the unique redemptive giftings and the deposits of God that are uniquely contained within every single people group on the earth. And there's yeah. scripture, you know, in Isaiah that talks about the, the cultural goods that of every tribe and nation being brought 
before the Lord in a in holy procession in Israel. And and I think that um, you know the way forward, particularly for us, is not just to embrace and lament. We have to lis- listen, learn, and lament from yeah. the past. We have to enter into one another's pain and, and weeping, but we can't stay there. We yeah. this is where the church must prophesy not only just the pain of our our broken history but the promise and the prophetic future of our shared destiny. And if you look at what raised up right there in California through Kanye and, you know, Sunday service and all that, that's actually a, a, a biblical manifestation of what African, the African diaspora is going to do in the end time, which is lead worship, you know, out of our pain, God, God brought forth an amazing sound, a, a song. And, uh, and so I think we we're beginning to see that, uh, manifest in so many ways. And it's, it's an exciting time in the midst of, you know, the, the instability of our times. Yeah. And I love that. And that you would even make that statement that it's an exciting time in the midst of instability. And I just want to encourage you who are listening to get a hold of Jonathan's uh, materials. How do they connect to you? What website do they go to? And are you on social media? Which ones are you on? Absolutely. We're, we're on uh, Instagram and Facebook. You can find us at civil righteousness um, civilrighteousness.org as well. And, and then also I'll just plug, I'm not sure when this is going to air, but on August 8th, uh, pray on MLK. We're, we're raising up a presence-based holy activism. We're calling black, white, Asian, Hispanic, people of every color and creed to help us seize the dream of, of God, the King, uh, that was communicated through Dr. King, uh, mm-hmm. On August 8th, every MLK Boulevard in America, we want to raise up a, a sign and a wonder of multi-ethnic unity and prayer uh, as we do a, a two-hour prayer vigil um, in, a, in a unique way that the Lord uh, has given us to invite people to, to pray on MLK. So pray on MLK.com and then also civilrighteousness.org is to stay connected with us. That's so good. Well, thanks for being a guest. Thanks for sharing so radically today i love the message i love your heart love your just your voice right now it's just so needed thanks so much thank you thanks for having me we have some exciting news we have a new online platform called bowls ministries online platform it includes all of our content for one low price this is all of our e-courses which is kizem's economy prophetic 101 modern prophets living and thriving marriage god's secrets but here's where it gets really interactive we have a translating god mentoring platform with new content every week. So weekly teaching videos and group and individual mentoring videos and guest contributors from around the world, weekly prophetic testimonies, weekly Q and A, you're gonna love this. This is an interactive platform that invites you to exclusive content for me and guests. There's also an opportunity for you to submit your dreams to interpret. You guys are gonna love this and this is all one low price of $14 a month. And I want you are exploring the prophetic family to join, come be a part of this. It's gonna change your life and I know we're gonna enjoy having you. So come visit BowlsMinistries.com. Thanks for listening to Exploring the Prophetic Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Bowles. I want to encourage you to stay involved with us. Continue the conversation online by going to our Facebook page. Sean Bowles is our Facebook public address. Also, you can visit us at www.BowlesMinistries.com. And if you're enjoying the podcast, make sure to subscribe to it. It's Exploring the Prophetic with Sean Bowles.